0: Sunday Night Science. Well, it's less than a week until Christmas, and there is growing nervousness about whether or not celebratory gatherings are wise or whether Christmas get togethers are too risky, possibly super spreader events. Yes, Vaccination rates are very high, but so too are these new COVID infections. Case numbers in New South Wales and Victoria are surging and they're springing up in Queensland and South Australia as well, partly because most state borders have lifted their restrictions. So New South Wales has gone a step further, allowing unvaccinated people back into most non-essential retail and hospitality venues, just as University of New South Wales modelling predicts the state could see 25,000 new cases per day by the end of January. The Omicron variant is the worry, of course. It's highly transmissible, cases doubling in two to three days, much faster than previous waves. Overseas, the UK is seeing record infection numbers. Uh, the Netherlands has gone into lockdown, and throughout Europe and South Africa, the doubling rate has been tremendously fast. Well, Dr. Chris Smith is a medical consultant in the UK, specializing in clinical microbiology and virology at Cambridge University. And he's a founder and managing editor of the Naked Scientist podcast and radio programs. And he's with us again and taking your questions and comments. Now's your chance one 300 for your questions for Dr. Chris, or you can send them to our text line, 0467-922-702. Dr. Chris, hello. How are you?
1: Merry Christmas. I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. Very. I'm very well. And Merry Christmas to you. It's great to chat to you again, Chris. All right. So here in Australia, our politicians, like those overseas, have decided it's time to live with COVID. So borders are opening up. Restrictions are lifting. Of course, there are economic considerations. And here in Australia, you know, we've got an imminent federal election as well, which probably is a motivating factor. But this is happening, Dr. Chris, just as this new variant is becoming rife. The word seems to be that Omicron is mild, but indeed, uh, maybe it could be a blessing in disguise, uh, re- displacing more lethal variants. But is that the case? Do you see the evidence that this is mild
1: it's really early days and this is the problem policymakers politicians public health officials doctors scientists when they're asked this question are we doing the right thing are we overreacting are we underreacting the only real answer we can give is we don't know because it's very very early in the whole sequence of things because remember when you catch this new infection this coronavirus you don't immediately toddle off to hospital or toddle off to the mortuary worse you actually have to get it for a while you deteriorate for a while you deteriorate sufficiently to end up needing hospital care hopefully things then turn the corner but sometimes they don't but that whole cycle takes two or three weeks and of course Mm. when it goes into a population it it spreads through the best networked people first and fastest the best networked people are those who are usually younger They're usually people who are in work on public transport, schools, universities and so on. And they're the ones having all the connections with each other. They're also the people living with their families. So as a result, you tend to get the biggest boom first among the younger cohorts for whom it's more trivial anyway, regardless of what variant persuasion it is. And it's when it gets into... Older people, more vulnerable people, the people who probably are less well-networked, less well-connected, or are taking steps to keep themselves away from the virus for various reasons, then you find out the whole story because they're the more vulnerable ones. But this is countered by the fact that we've got these stories from South Africa of a disease that is a lot milder, when people catch it and Angelique Quetzi, uh, the GP who spotted it said look the symptom contract uh, co- um, the symptom sort of constellation is quite different in the people who are presenting with this and then other doctors and public health officials in South Africa said the spectrum of people in hospital and the way in which the disease plays out for people in hospital if they go to hospital is very different. So on that hand, we've got something that looks encouraging. We, we, on the other hand, also have very high levels of vaccination in populations now. So it's not a given that when people catch this, it's going to be curtains. But the problem is that what we do have is something unarguably which is very transmissible. Some people are saying 100% more transmissible, some even more so. And it grows very fast data from Japan suggests that when this gets into our cells, it produces lots of virus really quickly. It's basically supercharged in growth terms and it has the ability to bypass the pre-existing immunity we have from either being vaccinated or from uh, having caught one of the previous variants. So what you've kind of got is this really difficult quandary facing politicians, which is less lethal variant, very spreadable, lots of people vaccinated, It does appear that if you're vaccinated, you're protected to a point and probably from severe disease. What do I do? Do I destroy people's well-being? Do I destroy people's Christmas? Do I destroy businesses and all the other impacts? Or do we go business as usual? And that is the difficulty. And some countries are electing to be more cautious. Others are saying, actually, we are going to carry on business as usual and um, maybe make changes later.
0: Yeah. And, Dr. Chris, these are high rates of transmission of Omicron, how worried are health authorities about hospital systems now being overwhelmed, being overburdened?
1: Well, this is the issue, which is that even with a disease which is a very trivial impact, if you imagine something where the mortality rate is incredibly low, it's still not zero and if you have a, a disease that can basically infect everybody regardless of prior infection or vaccine status and it can do it really fast because it's really transmissible, you've, you've still, despite the fact it's very, very uh, low virulence, you've still got enough people potentially who could turn up at the doors of a hospital all at once because so many people are getting infected so quickly, it could still surmount our ability to cope in terms of delivery of healthcare. And that's what's got public health uh, doctors and politicians worried because if it does do that and produce a very big surge, it might be a short, sharp shock, but it's going to be a painful one when it happens. So at the moment, they're watching and waiting and gearing up trying to keep things under control, moderating spread. I mean, many countries are doing enhanced vaccination and booster campaigns. They're also mm. encouraging people to minimise mixing, to just not to not to fool themselves into thinking we can stop this because everyone's accepted in the same way as you open the programme by saying uh, the mindset uh, among policymakers in Australia has, has shifted from one of uh, zero COVID to living with COVID, as have most countries in the world adopted that sort of approach. Now, we realise this is endemicized it's not going to go away. But... Um, Owing to that, we know that we can nevertheless control the rate at which we encounter the virus and it's through vaccination, through public health measures and so on that, that can help and can control the rate at which cases develop and that can in turn control our ability obviously to deliver health care.
0: Mm. And this is the problem, Dr. Chris, assessing the risk at the moment as we're trying to find out more about Omicron, because Australians have struggled for two years now to limit the risk of high numbers or deaths. We've had the lockdowns, the masks, the QR codes, uh, limiting gatherings, uh, and then suddenly at least New South Wales and Victoria, you know, we've had masks off, all gatherings have been green lighted. But now some are thinking, is all that good work now to prevent death death rates is it all being undone
1: well many people are saying and you know I actually was was one of the people right at the start of all of this and I said uh, the fact is we're all going to catch this at some point and mm. we are all going to have our day with this virus and really all we're doing is changing the date at which that occurs our appointment with coronavirus is being changed and adjusted by the measures we put in place but you can't dodge the it's like the tax man you can't dodge them forever they'll get you And <laughs> this thing is okay. going to come for us at some point and we're going to run into it but we can change what happens when we do and we can by being vaccinated we can adjust our risk profile and The aim is that we all get vaccinated, we all get as prepared as possible so that when we do bump into this thing, we probably won't catch it and if we do catch it, it'll be trivial and the likelihood of ending up with more severe disease will be minimised. And if those apply, we'll also minimise the number of people we give it to which in turn slows down the penetration through the population so it becomes a sustainable problem but it's a sustainably sustainable one as in we can cope with it.
0: Hmm... So, because one of the things that we're noticing here in Australia is that it's become a sense of the, the personal risk, the fear of the personal risk. But what you're saying is we should look at slowing it down for the, for the system to absorb these cases, but it is going to come for us um, in the end. That's where we should be trying to put our heads
1: I think that's the way to approach it, yeah, is that we're we're all going to run into this thing because it is endemicised, it is out there, it's going to be spreading. And it was the right strategy right at the beginning of this. It was absolutely the right strategy for all countries to try to stop it while we learned, because if it had been like the first SARS back in 2002 to 2003 – Maybe we could have stopped it. There are other things that we have had in the past which we've been able to stop with very decisive, very quick action. But this one is very, very difficult on a number of levels to control. It has a very long incubation period, it has a very significant proportion of people who have no symptoms whatsoever yet are fully infectious which makes it very hard to track and stop and the vaccines do not prevent infection all the time and as more time elapses more people return to susceptibility to infection again albeit being protected from severe disease. All these factors conspire to make this very, very hard to stop. So in the early days, until we learned that, absolutely, it's the right thing to do to say you have to try and stop it. You have to use all of the things available to you to keep it out. And, you know, Australia, very lucky in in terms of the the way in which the country is formatted, the remoteness of different state capitals and so on. It makes that sort of control much easier to do in a country like Australia than it does in, say, the uk but once you then realize that actually this is not something we can stop it's something we're going to have to live with then of course your mindset has to change but it's how you then transition and do that in a safe way that doesn't overwhelm health services and that's what what again many people in many countries are grappling with how do we make that transition it's not straightforward and there are costs and consequences and difficulties however you try and confront this
0: Dr. Chris Smith is taking your questions on all things COVID-related. One three hundred eight hundred triple two, one three hundred eight hundred triple two, or the text line zero four six seven nine double two seven zero two. All right, uh, Dr. Chris. Moving on to booster advice now. Uh, that that is a another big area that here in Australia we have been uh, now um, had advice that's been revised. We were told Australia first uh, to wait six months here for your third shot. Now the government is saying five uh, five months, not six months. Should it be less than that?
1: When this all started at the beginning of this year with vaccination, initially we were going to do one vaccine, wait a month, do another vaccine, and that would be it. Uh, Then it became three months because we realised that actually we could deliver better, long-term, more resilient responses on the part of the immune system by having a bigger gap then Mm. it became ah we'll have to do two doses except for people who are immunocompromised in which case we'll do three doses and then we're going to do two doses plus a booster and initially it was going to be six months now it's been three months (laughs) so this is in other countries and so on so it's really a moving feast and what is happening is that people are flexing these arrangements to do two things one To achieve the best bang for our immunological buck, because we want to make sure people are as protected as they can, and try to jump over what will be each of the surges. So, if you imagine that we anticipate there will be surges that will come seasonally and in relation to waning immunity and so on, so you get a big bump in viruses, you want to straddle that bump with your immunity you confer with vaccination, so that you predict that by the time a person's immunity, say it does wear off from a booster, will be wearing off, will be on the other side of that bump so that people will be less likely to be uh, exposed when they're at their most vulnerable before you can reboost them if they need, do need reboosting or we just wait and see what the virus does. So at the moment, it, it's very much a... We, we are getting to grips with how these things work, what they can deliver, what they can't deliver, what the best way of doing this is And then trying to factor in what other variants like this Omicron variant can do and will do. And so as a result, we we have to accept that there is no simple black and white set of rules. Follow this, you'll be fine. It just doesn't apply.
0: And Dr. Chris, here in Australia, as you may know, we've been double-dosed largely with AstraZeneca. But some health advice says that would mean only 30% or so protection against uh, Omicron. Are people with double-dosed AZ now more vulnerable?
1: This is, again, something that we're learning all the time. We we don't actually have huge amounts of data yet on this. What... Trends are emerging are that the Omicron variant, because of the changes in the virus, there are some 50 or so mutations and a very significant concentration of them in the part of the virus genetic code that it uses to build its outer coat, and most specifically the spike. These spikes stick out from the virus surface. They are the linchpin in how the virus gets hold of our cells, invades, infects and, and grows in our cells. So we've used those to make the vaccine. Because they have changed in Omicron, it means that the vaccines produce antibodies that are less of a good fit with the virus than with previous variants. As a result of that, what the, the performance of the vaccines is a bit lower. But what is being done instead is to boost people harder because you are substituting quantity for quality. And a good analogy here is if I lobbed a ping-pong ball at you, you probably wouldn't notice. But if I lobbed a million ping-pong balls at you, you probably would. And, and it's all about sort of slowing down the trajectory of the virus in the body. You can compensate for the fact the antibodies are a slightly less good fit by just slinging a huge tsunami of them at the virus. Enough will then stick that it does retard the ability of the virus to grow. So that's really where we're going with this and we just have to wait and see how these different different vaccines delivered at different points um, in in terms of a time course work best. We know that there is a a knockdown in terms of their performance and we know that there will also be a, a waning effect of their performance but beyond that at the moment it's very limited because it's such early days. Hmm.
0: Uh, We've just got a question from Virginia for you, Dr. Chris, whether the nature of the booster matters, that is Pfizer or Moderna, if the first two were AstraZeneca.
1: There have been quite a few trials now, including the CovBoost trial in the UK and other countries where they have considered lots of different permutations, different primary course, different booster, to ask what after what gives you the best most prompt and possibly the most resilient protection. In those sort of tests, it didn't matter what your first two infections, injections rather, were. The Pfizer or Moderna were were the best in terms of bo- boosting for a prompt response. And so those are the ones which are being used as the boosters off the back of whatever people have had previously at the moment, and Moderna and Pfizer are broadly comparable because they're both what we call mRNA vaccines. In other words, they contain a short piece of genetic code taken from the virus itself that codes for that crucial spike protein. And when they go inside our cells, they, for a short while, produce a big burst of production of this spike protein as though the virus were in those cells for real. And that is then used to educate the immune system as to what that bit of the virus looks like. When administered off the back of your previous vaccination course, either of those two does produce the best response in terms of getting a big number of antibodies very high very quickly. And so those are currently the boosters of choice at the moment. But it's really a learning thing and we have to wait and see whether actually... Some of the responses to some of the other vaccines will produce different longer term responses because we know that uh, we know a lot about the short term because we've been studying that. We have to wait to find out about the long term in terms of how long that protection lasts. So it may well be that things shift further as we learn more, but for now, those are regarded as the best booster regimens.
0: Mm, okay. Uh, a question here from Rosa Dr. Chris, does having ME or CFS, mean you are immunocompromised and need more frequent doses of a COVID vaccine?
1: I don't think so. Um, I don't think there's any evidence that people who have CFS or ME are immunocompromised. It may be that there is in, in at least a fraction of or a proportion of the cases of ME or chronic fatigue syndrome an immunological component. We really don't know what those conditions are. They're they're probably an umbrella term for a number of different conditions that manifest similarly but perhaps have different routes to getting there and at least a proportion of them probably do have some kind of immunological consideration but that doesn't mean that they're automatically associated with the person being immunosuppressed. If you are taking drugs to suppress your immune system and you have one of those conditions as well, that's a different matter. But certainly at the moment, uh, everyone's advised to get a a vaccine. Everyone's advised to get a vaccine plus a booster. And if you are already in poor health, then you should try and prioritise that because the, the evidence of coronavirus infection is that it tends to make people who are already ill iller.
0: Mm. All right, uh, Dr. Chris, moving on to another development this week. Pfizer says a study confirms positive results for its anti-COVID pill, Paxlovid, and the company has already begun the process of seeking uh, regulatory clearance for uh, Paxlovid in Australia. Uh, what does Paxlovid do uh, and when would it be administered?
1: Well, this is the first full-on coronavirus-specific targeted treatment and the way this works is that it hits the virus's ability to make new viruses and it seems to be very effective it's um it stops it basically chopping up the raw materials that the growing virus needs to assemble new virus particles in cells and Mm -hmm. it's a bit like if you had all your building materials delivered to your building site but when the workmen turned up, uh, you'd taken away all their saws. So they couldn't chop up the timber into the right lengths. Because when the virus grows in your cells, the way it works is that it produces big, long chunks of of proteins all connected together, like the timber on the building site, and then it saws them up into the right shapes and sizes to assemble virus particles. So if you clog up the works with that so it can't do that, then the, the viruses can't assemble with any efficiency. So the whole process of virus growth and reproduction is completely hampered. Pfizer have made this drug which goes in and specifically damages one part of the virus system that's, that's like the sores in the hands of the workmen on the building site. And as a result of that, it does have a very, very effective uh, knockdown in terms of the growth of the virus and its translation into severe disease. In trials so far, I mean, you know, really big reductions. So at the moment, it is uh, an experimental agent, it does need to go through regulatory approval, which is what they're saying. But in the trial data that's been announced so far, it does look very encouraging.
0: Okay, Dr. Chris Smith is with me. He's a uh, clinical microbiologist and virologist at Cambridge University, taking all your questions COVID-related. One three hundred eight hundred triple two, or you can text me zero four six seven nine double two seven zero two. Another question related to boosters, Dr. Chris: How long do I have to wait after having COVID to have my booster?
1: No one has actually done the proper clinical trial on this where they've randomised people to getting boosters at different dates after infection but the current guidance being used in the majority of countries that i'm aware of including in the uk is that you should wait 28 days from your diagnosis or first positive test are you when you're symptomatic or when the test says you you've got coronavirus before you then have any vaccine of the against a coronavirus either your first vaccine's second doses or your booster dose so 28 days is the bottom line really the rationale behind that is we don't want people going off to vaccination centres when they're feeling poorly uh, because they might infect other people and that's not going to achieve anything because you're saving one person from getting it and giving it to another potentially. Mm. So don't do that. And the other the other point is that if you're already feeling unwell, we know that a stressed, ill person doesn't make as good a immune response against other things as someone who's feeling a bit he- healthier. So it, it really serves two aims, to minimise transmission, keeping people away from other people when they're acutely infected and then giving your immune response a chance to settle down after you've uh, fought off the coronavirus yourself to then consolidate and reinforce the immunity you will have already built to do that.
0: Another question, Dr. Chris, we've been told here in Australia uh, to wait the, the five months for this booster. What would happen if you got that booster earlier than five
1: months? Almost certainly nothing. You don't want to stack up vaccines too close together because they can have a negative effect. But in terms of of the difference between four months, three months, five months, six months, that's really going to be of little consequence. And really the dates which are being used are being chosen because they are trying to hit the sweet spot where we know immunity drops off with time. It drops off faster with time in older people than younger people. So if you go in at the right time with your booster, you rekindle the immune response and push a person's immunity up to a sufficiently high threshold that you then get them over the the seasonal bump when there are surges of virus. So they're maximally protected for as long as possible. Until uh, you either need to reboost them again, or the virus has gone away. So to explain that in a say UK context, right now it's winter time in the UK. We've got a big surge of of winter infection because everyone's indoors more, windows and doors are closed more, less sunshine around. As a result of that, good good sort of um, area for or conditions for transmission. Lots of cases as mm. a result. If you give people their booster at the right time, so you wait six months, it worked out that it was going to be about six months to do it, you then give people protection through until next spring, by which time all respiratory seasonal infections tend to plummet in the spring because the sun comes out, people get outside more. And it's it's doing it like that. It's not informed by... Um, the immune system is standing there tapping its foot with a stopwatch running going right come on you're out of time it doesn't Mm. work like that it's more about what is practical what's the virus doing how do we protect people the best the quickest get the best bang for our buck
0: so so rushing to get a booster now is is pointless in a way rather than just waiting your five five months
1: It depends what the virus is doing. Now, what's going to happen now in Australia, I anticipate, with this Omicron business... And this coinciding with more places opening up more is there are going to be more cases. And the rush of cases may then prompt policymakers to say, actually, we need to accelerate the booster program and get more boosters into more people more quickly again. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But my anticipation will be you'll get a load more cases. And it's more about holding your nerve because if those cases and you'll be lucky because the rest of the world will have been down this path before and you'll, mm. you'll be able to see what has happened in countries that have done less in countries that have done more in countries broadly comparable to the demography of australia who have similar sorts of vaccination rates etc you'll be able to see and that will inform the the next steps as to to how hard and how bold to be
0: you're listening to Nightlife with India and I do. And with me is Dr. Chris Smith. Uh, he specializes in clinical microbiology and virology at Cambridge University. He's taking all your call, all your calls and questions last time for this year with us on Nightlife about uh, COVID, COVID-related questions. Now's your chance to get in with a question. one three hundred eight hundred triple two 800 is the number and that text line 467 702 Another question here. For you, Doctor Chris, I am currently sick with COVID, double vaxed. The rules here are: I'm allowed back into the wild after ten days. Am I really not going to be a
1: threat after ten days? Good question. Uh, members of my own family have been in the same position and asked me the same question. The answer is that we know the incubation period for coronavirus is about fourteen days. That's that's maximum, and it's an average of five days. We also know that once a person's ill with it then they tend to be no longer symptomatic after about a week and they have very, very few cases of infectivity after 10 days. So most of the infectivity is before you're even symptomatic so that means before 5 days and most of the infectivity plummets after you become symptomatic. So it's very skewed. You get short period of time, become infectious peak infectivity, symptoms kick in, infectivity plummets and then tails off fairly rapidly and by 10 days low the very, very low levels of infectivity, if any, have, have been documented. And so as a result mm. of this, policymakers feel comfortable to say to people uh, you don't have to wait uh, any longer than 10 days. The number of transmission events likely to occur beyond that period is so minimal that actually getting back to, to work and back into life and normal At ten days is a good compromise. Um, There's there's no merit in making people wait any longer than that.
0: Mm. Another question: Do we know what risk factors are for developing long COVID, Doctor Chris?
1: No, uh, it. It doesn't seem that there are any clear indicators. It seems that it's no discriminator of age. So unlike severe COVID disease, where elderly people, people with pre-existing health conditions, men are more vulnerable, this is not the case with long COVID. It seems that that anybody and everybody is potentially vulnerable to this. And one big study from University College London by Terence Stevenson suggested that it may be as many as one in seven children who get, when they get coronavirus infection, get some kind of legacy effect, at least for a while. But then we don't know if that's not true with other bugs and things. If, if we'd looked hard at, at other flus and other coughs and colds, would we find a similar post-viral phenomenon there? To a certain extent, possibly we would. Um, but really, it's, uh, it's, no, um, it, it's indiscriminate. Anybody uh, seems to be able to, to get this.
0: Okay. Uh, we have Nolene from uh, Bilalila on the, the line at the moment. Nolene, hello. Welcome to Nightlife. Thank you. What's your question? Uh, yes, I've had the um, AstraZeneca, isn't it, um, needle twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, uh, and then I was going to get the, um, uh, the booster. And because I'm going from central Queensland where I am, and I'm going down to the Sunshine Coast, uh, during this week, and uh, I was really worried. And I'm, so I've booked in tomorrow to get the Moderna. So, is that all right? Uh, that's and I, I'm older, and I get um I have got bad lung problems. And that's, so, is that this a good idea to get the Moderna? it be all right for me. Uh,
1: no, Lynn, it takes about a, a- fortnight before you get maximum protection off the back of a booster yeah. um, so you will be on the upswing yeah. uh, as you begin to take your take your journey down you will be slowly building an immune response and as the the subsequent two weeks go on it will get better and better and better you will already have residual protection from your double dose you've already had um, and you know we may find that people who have been double vaccinated already have pretty good protection against severe disease we don't know for sure yet but it's our suspicion that that may well be the case so really you're building on protection you already have so i think you should go and have a very nice trip while you can before they shut the country again uh, and <laughs> rest assured that in, a, in about two weeks you're going to be really really well protected anyway because by then you'll have built a, f- a thoroughly solid immune response to your booster
0: All right, Nadine. Thanks for that call and uh, have a lovely trip down to the Sunshine Coast. So, Dr. Chris, I mean, you know, it was a a little bit of a lighthearted comment there about shut the country down. But that is obviously this growing concern that that's where this could go back to. What's your advice for people with Christmas gatherings um, happening at the moment?
1: Very difficult. And I think really the emphasis is shifting away from the nanny state and dictating to people what they do to a personal decision based on personal judgment and risk assessment. If you are Mm. a young crowd of people who are going to be associating with younger people for whom you view the risk to be extremely low, even if you did catch coronavirus, uh, then... That's a very different scenario than if you are a young crowd of people with a whole bunch of symptoms that might be coronavirus, but you haven't done a test and you're going to have your 85 year old relatives over. Very different. So really, it comes down to doing what common sense says we should be doing, which is minimise the risk to the greatest extent you can get vaccinated invite people you're going to mix with to please get vaccinated if people have symptoms please don't meet up because whatever the symptoms are they're caused by something and that's probably going to be a transmissible thing that no one else wants in time for christmas so don't do that and take other steps if you can to do tests and so on to find out who's got it who hasn't got it and don't associate with people who do until you know they're all right
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, Sensible, sensible advice. Well, of course it is Christmas and it's a time for presents. And I understand you've bought yourself a present recently, a June buggy to add to your tractor. I
1: know. I just, I just like fiddling with things and I'm, and I'm quite good at mechanical stuff. And um, so I thought, well, I I was sort of thinking it'd be quite fun with the kids. So I went on eBay and I always keep Mm. an eye on what's out there that I think I can rescue. So I buy dead stuff that's dead cheap. That I think I can bring back to life. So my, my tractor was exactly that. It was I thought, yeah, I can remedy and rescue that and resuscitate that. And of course, that that's um, working a treat now. So I managed to buy myself a um, a dream buggy. It was very very cheap, and it was it was dead. I mean, it had been sold for kind of this is dead scrap value only. But I. I Looked at the pictures, and I, I quizzed the owner a bit, and I thought oh, I, I can easily fix this. I had to drive the length of the country to get it, but uh, very good money's worth because a few days' okay. work, and um, and it's it's roaring round the round the country lanes here now. So. <laughs> It's, is
0: it? Oh, so I, I thought it would be on a farm. So you actually—no, going
1: on the road. Well, no, it's uh, that we're on tracks and things around here. So it ah, is right. on a farm. But um, I mean, it's good on the good on the fields. But they're so light, they don't bog down. So even though we've had loads of rain, and there's you know, you're driving through a lake, and you get a shower every time you go for a drive because so much water comes up, you're drenched by the time you get off it. But um, <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's so light, it doesn't bog. So it's um it's not like a four by four where you have to let the tires down and and worry about getting stuck in the sand. This thing really does just skate over the stuff. So it's it's it's. It's good fun. I,
0: I love the image of you, Dr. Chris, on your. Well, it's <laughs> like a 2CTC, yeah,
1: so I can take the kids out as well and they, they like yeah. it. They think it's great. Fun. Oh,
0: brilliant. Oh, well, uh, Chris, thank you so much. It's been wonderful um, having Pleasure. your wisdom and advice on this program this year and looking forward to speaking to you in 2022. So happy Christmas and Yes, you Merry to Christmas. You and your family. Likewise to lot, you Dr. and yours. Chris.
1: Have a lovely break and see you in 2022.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. Will do.